What do you think of this for a totally random conversation? This is sober. This is, this is holy hopping. This is holy hopping. It's totally different. <laughs> it drunk it might be much of a difference. Not the sort of thing you'd normally hear on a pilgrimage. I think it could safely be said that on the 4th of June 2017, a group of 60-odd people, mainly from Carlo, embarked on a very unusual journey. I heard that we had a saint from the local area whom we hadn't heard anything about up to now and uh, he was the patron saint of Luxembourg and we're getting a relic back to the cathedral in Carlow. Oh, this gives a whole new meaning to the expression to left feet. And then of course we'll be hopping in the hopping procession. The saint at the centre of all this is Saint Willie Board. I had never heard of him before. He was Northumbrian, that's to say he was born in the north of England, Newcastle area, that part of the world. His family might or might not have been uh, of royal stock. This is Dobby O'Cronin. He's the professor of history at NUI Galway. His father was uh, a hermit before him. Christianity had arrived in Northumbria in the 630s, actually as a result of Irish missionary efforts. And there's a very strong Irish background to everything that's uh, associated with Willowbrook, even before he came to Ireland. And that's quite possibly the reason why he did come to Ireland and to Carlow and to Rathmelchica. He arrived in Carlow in 678 AD and he lived a sparse and simple life there. Frugal comforts, I suppose we would call uh, the daily uh, subsistence, if you like, of, of these people. Not a great deal of wealth. Most monastic sites, as they're called nowadays, would actually have been working farms. Unfortunately, the monastery where Willie Board lived is no more, as is the name Rathmelchigi. A fair bit of detective work went into identifying where this was in Ireland. If you look, say, at the ecclesiastical history of the Venerable Bede, when they come to Rathmelchiga, when they come to Bede's account of Willebroard and his history and so on, will always be referred to the bottom of the page to a footnote, and they're always told, sight unidentified. Nobody knows the location of Rathmelchiga. But luckily, in the 1980s, when I started working on this, um, through a series of, of, of uh, fortunate coincidences, I suppose, uh, I myself, uh, a colleague in Cork, Ken Nichols, Father Colm Killer, uh, the famous Cistercian scholar uh, in Ross Grey, we sort of came from three different directions and decided that where previously Clonmelch had been associated with Mellifont, uh, in County Louth, which is impossible really, uh, we decided that on the basis of the, the name and the makeup of the name and the elements contained in the name that it was more likely to be Clonmelch, which is not a problem. Okay, Rathmelch is not the same as Clonmelch, but there are instances in Irish uh, place name history, if you want to put it that way, where you have a sort of alternation in titles. The Clonmelch site that we identified is actually gone because it was subsumed into a quarry uh, in the townland, I think, of Gary Hunden. I think it's called Nerny, Gary Hunden, that part of the world. And if you go there today, you'll see it is still a working quarry. But luckily, um, just next to it is the site of Kilogan, the burial um, site of Kilogan. And almost certainly that would have been the site of the original ecclesiastical foundation because Rathmelchiga may actually have been a secular, non-religious site in the first place to which a church was then attached. Ireland is one of the last places in Western Europe to become Christianised and that gave Willie Board and his companions a bit of a hang-up in that 
They could never aspire to the heroism of martyrdom. Michael Burrows, Bishop of Cashel, Waterford, Lismore, Ossery, Ferns and Lachlan. The early Irish church had no martyrs. Nobody had shed their blood for the faith. The Christianisation of Ireland had been a peaceful process, oddly enough, unlike in many places. So people used to think the Irish church was somehow deficient because it hadn't got what the Celts called red martyrs who actually gave their lives for the faith. And so... The, the early saints and the early Christians used to look for ways of engaging in an exercise of costly martyrdom short of death. And one way to do this was to leave all that was dear, all that was familiar, to go off without a particular destination in mind, in a boat or whatever, to a place where you believed the Spirit had called you to be, and there to witness for the faith and establish the church. And they called that white martyrdom. It wasn't red martyrdom, it was white martyrdom. But white martyrdom of the kind that Villabord and others practised was regarded as a very high calling in the Irish church. And it is to this high calling that Willie Board and his companions responded to. And while us pilgrims travelled to Luxembourg by plane, in the year 690, it would have been a longer, torturous and more dangerous journey. Part of the travel might have been by foot, but I think in their case they almost certainly went down into the Irish Sea, into St George's Channel or whatever it is, probably around Britain rather than across Britain, and then sailed over, in their case, to Frisia in the northwest of uh, Germany and the, the, the low countries and so on. And Frisia is like uh, Germany, uh, where, the, Luxembourg. where the cows come from, yeah, the Frisian cows, yeah, it's the same area, yeah. The, the, the Benelux countries, as they're called, Belgium, uh, Netherlands, Luxembourg, that part of the world, they're all one stretch there uh, along the North Sea, yeah. So as we take time out for these three days and walk in the slower pace of Villabord and the saints, let us in a way that at times even eluded the apostles manage to pace ourselves in relation to great decisions and great matters. It was Carlo's first ever ecumenical pilgrimage and the Bishop of Cashel, Ferns and Ossery, Bishop Michael Burrows and the Bishop of Cadair and Lachlan, Dennis Nulty planned the pilgrimage under the coordination of Dermot Mulligan, curator of Carlow County Museum. Museum. Can you tell us the background to why we came here? This is something that began 1,327 years ago when St. Willibord came and was trained in Carlow and part of his ambition was to lead a mission to the continent and that's what he did in 690 AD and he'd already spent 12 years in County Carlow in a place called Ratmelchig, which is near Milford. He wasn't actually the first person chosen to take a mission. The leader of the mission, Egbert, firmly believed that he was the person who was going to bring monks with him to Ireland, train them, ordain them, and he would lead them to the continent. Through a whole series of events, including night visions by another monk, uh, he was dissuaded from actually leading this uh, pilgrimage. And he picked another monk, and he spent about two years in the continent, came back to Carlow and said, this is not working. Um, it's not happening, we just couldn't succeed. But they weren't dissuaded. And then the third person chosen, and faithfully, was Willibord. And he headed uh, to the continent. He established the cathedral in Utrecht. And he would have been also travelled to Rome, where he was conferred bishop by the Pope and archbishop. So he obviously became quickly quite an important individual. He was obviously getting success. And eventually he settled here in Luxembourg, 
in the town we know today of Eshternach, where he was offered lands to start his mission. He would have established a monastery, a scriptorium, which is extremely important. So you get this unusual mix in the heart of Europe of wonderful, beautiful manuscripts, but with a very heavy Irish influence. St. Billy Boy before because to me he was a whole new um, surprise no, story for only me. Only when I came here that was the first I heard and the only first thing I heard about it was it was to do with the security question that we have in our office so that was the first to get. and so then I began to explore and kind of learn a bit um, and so then I got interested and last year then I actually went down uh, to view it and talk to uh, some of the clergy who were there then as well um, and to talk to the Billy Board Society they're very anxious to create links. This is Pater Carpenter Ireland's ambassador to Luxembourg. Luxembourg is a small country. It is small. Uh, there's no denying that. I mean, from where we're sitting now, kind of, uh, you will be in France in 15 minutes, Germany in 15 minutes, or in Belgium in 15, 20 minutes as well. So it's it's not um, great distances around the country. Uh, having said that, it's uh, a very nice place to live. They're very straight people. They're very um, uh, honest. It's one of the safest countries in the world. There's very, very little crime here. There are uh, public services here are second to none. It's one of the richest countries in Europe, if not the, the richest, I think. Uh, next, Norway is the only other country that would be above it. The city here has a population of 100,000 people, 70,000 of that, 70% of the population are non-Luxembourgers. Every day, 180,000 people cross the border to work in Luxembourg. The Irish have a very, very good reputation. They're well established here. They work in the institutions. They work in financial centres. They're very sought after as employees. And hopefully good things will come from this and future ones both in both directions. Uh, that would be nice to have that as well. At the beginning, the only thing that was existing here on this uh, place... It's not all mass and praying on the pilgrimage. And on the second day, we do a tour of Luxembourg City. It's bringing back memories here for you, Pat. Yes, I lived here for 28 years and I worked for about 16 years of that in the European Parliament as a a translator. And in fact, my daughter was born in Luxembourg and got all her education in Luxembourg and a very good education too. And the church that we were in just now? Oh yes, I I frequently attended Mass there and in fact I attended the wedding Mass at a royal wedding of one of the princesses of Luxembourg. Um, uh, Yes, it brings back many memories, really. And why did you decide to come on this pilgrimage then? Well, you see, my my, uh, late wife, who died in 2009, was from Ballin in County Carlow, and I thought that I would like to meet the Carlow people and travel with them to Luxembourg. And I'm enjoying my 
my trip to Luxembourg uh, very much with with all those lovely Carlo people. And do you know much about the saint, Saint Willibord? Have you heard much about his Oh, yes, yes. In fact, um, I have done the hopping procession in Eshternach one time with my wife. hopping procession is to be one of the highlights of our pilgrimage and we are to become the first known Irish group to take part in this ancient UNESCO World Heritage Protected event. Yeah, well, that's a very long tradition, yes. The former president of the Balfour, Mr. Cowton, he uh, uh, worked on it and uh, uh, he found out that uh, the procession goes back to Celtic rites. So it's a very long time ago, we are talking about 2,500 years. There was an illness called uh, St. Anthony's fire. So it is uh, the grain rots, the weather is not good, it's uh, too damp, it's uh, humid, it rains too much, and at the same time it's uh, hot, so there is a bacteria which develops on the grain. And if people eat this grain, they fall ill. And the illness was normally fatal. People were very much afraid of this uh, disease and uh, therefore they prayed to their gods to protect them because they couldn't do anything about it. They did not make the relation between the rotten grain and the illness. And uh, so the tradition was taken over by the Romans and the rite is uh, described by Ovid, the Roman poet, uh, and it is called Robigalia. And the people went up and the altar was on the, uh, on the hill overlooking Ashtenach. And so the people went up to the top, made offerings, prayed to the gods, uh, to that god Robigo, and then when they had the protection of the god, they jumped, they hopped, because they were pleased to have that protection, and they returned uh, into the town, hopping. Pope Gregory the Great wasn't impressed by these pagan gods and rites, and so instructed his Irish and English missionaries to change these rituals into Christian expressions of the gospel, which they did. At first, the tradition was still to go up on top of the hill, but gradually people thought that it was more comfortable to have a celebration down in the valley. And so the, uh, the first site was in Echternacherbrück, which is nowadays Germany, but which in those days was the Duchy of Luxembourg. And um, so the uh, procession started there. Yes, and went through Eschenach. And then shortly before the First World War, the procession was transferred to Eschenach because Hitler forbade that. And uh, since then, uh, it has always started in uh, the yard of the abbey, so the schoolyard of the Lycée Classic Eschenach. Alan Muller and Pierre Cautan are members of the Willy Bords Balfarheim who organised the hopping procession and all the affairs to do with St. Willy Bords they have been preparing for many years for our arrival because they want to honour Carlo's role in the education of their much-loved patron saint, Willie Board. And the reception for us precedes another very important and significant event, the presentation of a relic of St. Willie Board to Carlo Cathedral from the Archbishop of Luxembourg and the Willie Board Foundation. Bishop Dennis Nulty. Uh, Bishop, where did the whole idea of relics come from, or where, where, where does it originate from? It actually goes back to the very beginning of Peter and Paul, and how they died, and people wanting to venerate the memories of Peter and Paul, and the early 
apostles and the early saints. And I think it's so important, relics. I often think, for instance, in Ireland, we think very much of the relic of Padre Pio, Saint Pio. And people say to me, I want you know, to be blessed by Saint Pio's relic. And I always say to them, you know, if Pio were around today, he would say, don't worry about me, worry about what the relic points to the Lord and our deeper faith in him. I think that's important, because other than that, we get caught up in a particular relic, whether it's first class, second class, third class, whereas really, it's all about deepening our faith and understanding of Christ and trying in some ways to live a better life. And that's the crucial part, I think, of what a relic is about. How would have Saint Willibord have become a saint? There are many ways of becoming a saint. The most obvious one is that if there's a miracle declared, that person becomes blessed. If there are two miracles declared, that person is canonised and becomes a saint. In the case of Willibord, many of the early century saints, they were never out of causes. They became because of the devotion of people. And people started going to the tombs. People started going to visit the grave. People started investigating that for themselves. They weren't depending on a central Roman system to do all of this. But I did hear someone talking about a man, I think it was a doctor who had a skin issue on, on his arm, completely cured through the intercession of Willibert. So let us not be removed from miracles through the intercession of Willibert either. Your Lordship, dear Bishop Nalti, we are very happy that in your diocese, St. Willibrod lived and learned and prayed for many years before coming to our countries. We have common roots, but we have also a common situation of our two churches. When I was a small boy, Ireland was the most Catholic country in Europe, closely followed by Luxembourg. The winds of secularization have swept over our countries. And I think we need the example and the prayer of St. Willibald in order that first we get filled with the joy of the gospel and filled with the joy of the gospel, we can proclaim this gospel, especially to the next generations, so that a new evangelization has to be done like Willibrod did it in his own time. It is therefore my pleasure to give you these relics of St. Willibrod and we are very happy that you are here with the whole delegation and with you and our brother from the Anglican Church. John Murphy, here look of the Carlow County Council. It's been a big day today. Yes, a long day, Monica, but a very fulfilling day. I think it was great to be here today. You know, it's, we started about 8 o'clock this morning and it's now quarter past ten but yes it was most fulfilling day and I suppose the highlight was tonight in, in the cathedral with the handing over of the relic of St. Willibert uh, the two bishops will be on the hopping tomorrow like and I know we have to do a little bit of practicing yet tonight Good morning everybody Good morning I must say you're all looking rather splendid with your white tops and black bottoms <laughs> Thanks for being on time. We hope to be in Eshnock about 9.15 if Reinhardt knows the way. And 
Oh, sorry, 7.15. <laughs> Just checking you were all awake. We're now just coming up to half seven Luxembourg local time, which is half six Irish time. And this is the gathering of the people in Estronach to celebrate their patron saint, St. Willibord. And we're here outside the Basilica, which is the Basilica of St. Willibord, where his relic uh, and where he's buried. And obviously where last night the relic for Carlo was presented to Bishop Nulty and Bishop Burroughs. And now we're awaiting for about 30,000 people to gather here in the streets of Estronach. And we're about to have a Mass at 8 o'clock. And then after the Mass, the relic will be brought out in procession with the clergy into the square behind us here uh, to be presented to the people who then will, over the course of the morning, undertake a hopping procession of which about 12,000 people will partake. How are you getting on then so far? I'm loving it. I love historical things anyway. And um, I love the people that are on the trip. They're very interesting. Some are friends of mine. I've met some new friends. And everything about us went out. The hotel is exquisite. The rooms, the food, everything about the hotel is beautiful. And the trips are just very interesting. The bus drivers, the guides, very good. I can't complain about it all. I'm enjoying it immensely. The trip and the experiences of the group has been carefully planned over the course of a number of years. I suppose in the late 1990s, the Willowbird Society had been starting to correspond with different people in Carlow. They visited Carlow in 2000. Then in 2009, Mary McAleese, as part of her state visit to Luxembourg, came to Estronach to see the history and the heritage. That had been preceded by Henri, the Grand Duke of Luxembourg, having visited Ireland in 2002 for um, his state visit. And I suppose then from there, we started liaising through the Department of Foreign Affairs about getting serious about this connection there's an opportunity for us all to work together and in 2010 councillor Jim Townsend and myself came to view the link and we came we viewed it we got a wonderful reception um, and then in 2015 we returned again with Father John Cummins with Louise Doyle from Tully's Travel with Professor Davio Cronin where we came we presented a lecture and at that stage, we'd already had several meetings of a group uh, who were interested in obviously uh, having the pilgrimage develop. And the two bishops were very, very supportive. And of course, they've been instrumental and been on that committee. Uh, and that's how we've ended up here we are today. And today, we've just finished Mass and we're waiting to join the hopping procession. go with the procession when you go you still have the melody uh, all night long in your ear. (laughs) The people who take part in the procession are divided up into groups and each group is headed by a band who all play the same tune. There were different dancing processions at Eschtenech in the Middle Ages and this one survived. There were the hoppers the hoppers were not organized into groups, they just came along and uh, then somebody who p- could play musical instruments just joined them and played a tune to give them the rhythm, a specific rhythm. And uh, one particular tune developed itself, imposed itself. So it's a German tune, Adam hatte sieben Söhne, Adam had seven sons. And so that melody, is that tune imposed itself. And then in the 1890s, Menager 
worked out the tune that is still played nowadays. And it's an old tune, and uh, it's always the same tune that's played throughout the procession. We don't want the tune to be changed, to be adapted, or to be uh, transformed to modern version. We always insist on the old tune and the old rhythm. Our Carlo group are very proud of their band from the Presentation School. My name is Edwina Hayden and I'm band leader with the Presentation School Band. Tell us about all the practising that you've been doing and like how long this has been in the pipeline. Well, it's been in the pipeline since 2015 and then last year we were at the launch in Rocklandbridge and uh, the girls have been pretty much playing and practising since then. What's that entail then? Well, they practice on a weekly basis and then we've had extra practices over the last few weeks just to get ready and... So they've been really putting their heart and soul oh, into Oh, absolutely, it? yes, yeah. We have band members as young as nine right up to the age of 17, so it's, you know, all age groups and they've been working hard. There's 14 girls with us at the moment. And multi-instrumentalists? Absolutely, we have flutes, we have accordions, we have melodicas, we have concertinas and we have tin whistles. We were practicing, like, every week, so for, it was like, an hour and a half? Yeah, yeah. And you enjoying it? Yeah, it's really good crack, actually. Give us occasions about where you've played. Uh, we went to the Rose of Tralee last year and um, we play in the St. Patrick's Day Parade for the past few years and um, the uh, band went to Birmingham as well a few years ago and we played in the Pan Celtic Parade. Played every year. So you're well used to performing all over the world yeah. nearly. Yeah? Yeah. yeah. So this is nothing then to you? Uh, well, <laughs> yeah, like it's, it's really good, yeah. yeah. And what do you play? I play the melodica. And you musical? Do you play any other instruments? Yeah, I played in missile and clarinet as well. How did you find all the practising? Um, I found it kind of a bit hard sometimes because it was hard to like be able to reach all the notes in the melodica. And how long have you been playing in the band for? I think about two years. Yeah. Is this your first time abroad with the band? Yeah. Oh, how have you found it so far? Um, well, I found the journeying very difficult and tiring because, like, long I hate long journeys, and but yeah, it, it's been good. Yeah. And will you tell us what the school is? Will you give us the name and where it is? School where I got small in Kylo Green Road. And what are your teachers like? They're nice, mean, bossy, <laughs> and they give us too much homework. We're Group 29 and so have a long wait before we join the hopping procession and therefore have plenty of time to chat with the likes of Father John Cummins and Monsignor Brendan Byrne. The relic itself and the statue that it's housed in are just so incredibly beautiful. I think it's a really significant investment in um, the relationship between uh, Echternach and, and Carlo, first of all, but also in the devotion to St. Willibrod in Carlo. St. who's completely unknown, really, even though he spent 12 years among us in, in Carlo. Uh, I think in the future, this relic and the statue will attract attention. I think people will wonder who is he, they'll ask questions, and hopefully then maybe develop a relationship with this saint and find a friend in him. Uh, as the people here, both here in Echternach, um, throughout Luxembourg and indeed in Germany and the Netherlands as well. And we've met many people uh, today from the Netherlands, from Germany. Uh, many of them have come from the Diocese of Utrecht where um, Willebrod was bishop. They look upon him as the St. Patrick of Utrecht and he is much venerated and, and admired because it was St. Willebrod who obviously had done his education in Carlo 
who uh, came to Utrecht and converted that area first and then uh, moved on here. He was the, the first archbishop to get the pallium, which is a, it's a, it's a particular thing that's got from Rome, a particular little garment that's got from Rome, which marks that he's an archbishop. And they're very proud of that. But then he, he is, uh, he's one of the first saints to be always mentioned in any litany of saints and to people to intercede uh, 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 through him all the time. Yeah, there's a very wide devotion. I, I wasn't aware of that. No, I never heard of him. As he said, he, he's as, as important to us as St. Patrick is to you. That's what the man from Utrecht said. Yeah. We chat in the rain. It's absolutely bucketing down and we're all soaked to the skin. Yeah, it's the first time I'm here that it's raining. It's, uh, all the years usually we have good weather very fortunate but today first time it's raining typical irish weather but we're a bit ashamed to let the luxembourgers know that in case they start pointing fingers sure we're happy anyway absolutely great it's a wonderful occasion it's just amazing it's just fantastic and young and old and really everybody it's fantastic really the the whole idea of journey it's wonderful I think so, yes. (laughs) The weather isn't so good, but however, we're ready to go. Yeah, yeah. How are the girls feeling? They're fine now, I think. Just want to get it over with now. You know what I mean? When they just want to get out there and play, yeah, yeah, yeah. So they're all looking forward to it. Very wet, of course. (laughs) Where did you get these? They're proud we've had them years, but we have never used them before, so here's the first time for everything. (laughs) Because of the weather, ponchos and raincoats cover our black and white outfits, the required colours for participation in the hopping procession. So the processions were important affairs, and if you uh, go to an important affair, you dress up, and uh, the traditional colours to dress up are black and white, or dark grey, dark blue and white. These are traditional colours in our country. We are not as colourful as other countries, Portuguese for instance are. We are more sober. We're organised in rows of five people and each person is connected by a handkerchief to the person beside them. The handkerchief is a symbolism of people joining together uh, but it simplifies hopping. So if you hold somebody by the hand and uh, they are are not on the same step, it may hurt you. And so it simplifies hopping as well. And five is, has no symbolic meaning. It's a matter of organization. In the crypt, there is a small gate. And if you have got uh, seven people in a row, you don't pass through. So five is the uh, maximum number we can have in a row. Hmm. As we wait in our rows, while group 26, 27, 28 pass, the most amazing thing happens. The rain stops and the sun comes out. Meanwhile, Father John reflects on the benefits of hopping. It's an opportunity for us to move out of our heads and into our bodies and into our feet and that our whole being is united with body, mind, heart, soul um, in a movement towards God, which I think might take a little bit of, of getting used to for us, but I think it is something that's worth exploring, this different way of relating to God. Before we know it, we are cast out into the crowd and hit the streets hopping. Yeah, we've just started the the hopping procession, Alan. Tell us about it. So everybody is doing fine. The band is fantastic with the two drummers from Eschternach. So that's good. The tune is okay. The speed is okay. So everything's just perfect. How are you getting on? Are you enjoying it? We're doing fantastic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Happy with your dancing? The bishop played the rain to stop, and there it has stopped. Miracles do happen. What do happen? Will you tell me how you're getting on with the hopping and everything? Oh, the hopping is 
is easier than waltzing. <laughs> Are you out of breath? No, no, no. You're very fit then, you've been practising. I've been practising a little, but I'm told my colleague John beside me tells me that I'm not just doing as well as I should be doing, so I'm trying to get in step now. Martin, how are you getting on with the hopping? Oh, very good, it's awesome. When, when the Carla contingent took the field, the rain stopped, the sun shone. We're absolutely delighted. <laughs> and now as we're moving through the streets, it's, it's, it's beautiful. And our band is doing us proud and all the people joining in the, in the parade as well. All doing us very much proud, yeah. Crowds line the street and wave and cheer as we pass. It's a special experience, not just for the Carlo contingent. It's a dream come true. It's a dream come true yeah. for you, yeah. And we have been working at this for so long and now it's done. Yeah. You are here. Yeah. <laughs> we hop along the streets following a two kilometre circuit and before we know it, we're entering the Basilica. It's amazing, isn't it? Dancing on the island of the Basilica is very good, and we're on our way down to the crypt. And lots of music as well. We get blessed by monks as we descend the stairs to St. Williford's crypt. Oh, yeah, dress me a prayer. And then gather outside to digest the experience. That was a wonderful experience. Really, at this time of Pentecost, it gave great expression to that symbolism of the joie de vivre of the community. So it, it was just great fun. Yeah. Really simple, uh, something that brings people together. I think we've got a lot to learn from it. I think we should import it into the St. Patrick's Day Parade, to be honest. The atmosphere and the experience that we've had, you can go home with it, but it's not going to be the same. You know, you are so full of, not excitement, but I suppose spirituality and all of that, that this has given us. Uh, no amount of uh, describing will, 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 fit, will fit or fill what we've experienced. And now what happens now? Now uh, we are waiting for the last groups to come in. Uh, uh, the men of Eschner uh, are the last group. They hop continuously, hmm, so they have no break at all for the wa- one hour or one hour and a half. Hmm. And uh, then there is a religious service, uh, a short service, prayer service in the Basilica. And afterwards it's in the pubs. So uh, you will hear the tune, the melody again and again because the musicians will go to the pubs, they will play the tune again, people will start hopping again in the streets and uh, they will also play Luxembourgish uh, popular songs and so everybody will enjoy a beer in spite of the cold wind that's uh, blowing at the moment. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, so it will be a happy day, a day of reunion for all the old Ashtonachwa people. Good morning everybody. The next day, an exhilarated and exhausted bunch of people make their way back to Ireland. The clergy's popping skills. It was judged based on footwork coordination, enthusiasm and rhythm. It was a close contest between Tom and Dennis. Well, actually, it was no contest. Uh, Tom won by a considerable margin. The best hopper, Tom Gordon, is Dean of Old Lachlan Cathedral, where Michael Burroughs is bishop and where the relic of St. Willieboard will arrive to. We have the initial reception of the relic into, into Lachlan and a number of days when it will stay there in recognition of the 
ancient role Lachlan has played in, in all these events. Lachlan was one of the great uh, focal points of the early Irish church, one of the great monastic centres, and so much springs from it and from the tradition of Lissarian. It was a place of enormous monastic gatherings and, and synods, and there will be suitable prayers and uh, focus on, on it, and then, as you know, there will be this um, ecumenical um, journey of joy and further pilgrimage and procession in the presence of our um, friends from Luxembourg when the relic will be with, with, great, with great joy and fun and spectacle, we hope, um, travel down to Lachlan Bridge and along the Barrow and into Carlow Town where it will find its permanent resting place in the Cathedral of the Assumption, to which of course it has been given. To our God belong victory, glory and power. The Lord Almighty has claimed his kingdom. Two weeks later, a contingent of 29 Luxembourgers make a trip to Carlo to settle the relic into its home and to explore their patron saint's ancient connections. Thursday the 22nd of June, we welcomed 29 visitors into Dublin Airport. They flew in from Luxembourg and this is the return leg of the visits and part of the celebrations and the historical connection between Carlo and the town of Esternach in Luxembourg. Following service in Old Lachlan, a group of about 150 people escort the relic along the River Barrow to its resting place in Carlo Cathedral. We are making history. We are bringing a missionary back, a famous European missionary back to the place where he was educated and to a place where he was not known at all some 20 years ago. Nobody knew the name and it is only when our uh, research began that gradually the Irish people became aware that one of their pupils had become a very important, famous um, European missionary. It's a beautiful day and the 13 kilometre walk affords plenty of opportunities for chatting. Paul, you were here 17 years ago. 17 years ago, in, two years, two, in April 2000. I, I, I am very impressed uh, what uh, Pierre realized because he was, he was the man uh, behind. Uh, because it was not so easy. Uh, he, he, never, uh, he never stopped. And are you enjoying this three, four days here in Ireland? Yes, very much. Uh, Williport uh, brought us uh, the sun. <laughs> My name is Theo Theory. I was mayor of Eschternach uh, three years ago. There are more than 20 years that I'm a member of the Villebourg Foundation. So I took this opportunity to come and uh, to visit the origins of uh, St. Villebourg and also your beautiful country. You know, uh, St. Villebourg, his origins are here. He came uh, from here to the Netherlands and then to Eschternach and I think without Eschternach, without the abbey, without the scriptorium, I think uh, Eschternach wouldn't be the same, uh, on the same position that it is today. Eschternach has a lot of things to, to say to, to St. Philibert. Why are you, from a personal point of view, so engaged with St. Willibert? Okay, it's a, it's a traditional thing. 
Um, it's the only saint buried in our country. And uh, Ashtonach was the major cultural and religious uh, school centre in Luxembourg in the Middle Ages. Mm -hmm. And uh, uh, everything was founded by Willibrot. And then there is a tradition of the hopping procession. And uh, that is a fantastic event. Hmm? Uh, and uh, therefore, uh, all the Luxembourgers, when I was young, knew Ashtonach through the hopping procession and then obviously uh, the area as an um, area where you could walk for miles and miles through a beautiful landscape with lots of rocks. Hmm? Mm -hmm. And so everybody in the country knew Ashtonach. Uh, obviously, if you know Ashtonach, you know about Willibrod. Why I'm really struck by the passion and the allegiance that the people of Luxembourg and, and that area have to St. Willibrod that we don't quite have to St. Patrick in that way. Like It's interesting, isn't it? Yeah, I think you could say that actually about many, perhaps most of our continental, what we would call missionary saints, our saints and scholars and so on. Um, if you've been to the continent, not just to Echternach or Luxembourg, or if you go to any continental country, they are much more in tune with the activities of the Irish missionary saints on the continent than the Irish are. Most Irish people have no idea about any of our continental missionary saints and probably care less. Whereas Columbanus or Furza or Patrick and all of these saints, Bridget's to a certain extent, and a lot of others, these are very much part of the living Christian community for our continental cousins. And um, Echternach is a very good example of it, you know, how, how much they've taken it to heart and Willibrod is very much a central part of their Christianity. As you say, almost more so than Patrick. Patrick is almost a caricature yeah. in Irish society or Irish civilization now. Yeah, it's strange. I was really struck by that. Yeah, everywhere you go they have, you know, train stations named after Columbanus and all kinds of things. Oh yeah, everywhere. The Italians would tell you all about Columbanus. I mean, no Irish person could. <laughs> Not a clue. Yeah, but that's our fault. We don't tell the Irish. We don't tell anybody about it. It's a failure in the education system that, you know, we haven't made our fellow citizens aware of just how important is the Irish contribution to civilization. It sounds like a very grandiose kind of thing to say, but it's actually quite true. The role that the Irish played, first of all, in the spread of Christianity in the period after about 600, and then later on, up to the period 800 and after, the, the role, the contribution that the Irish make to learning and, and scholarship and all that kind of thing, it's really exceptionally important. But the Continentals are much more aware of it than we are. When you walk along the river, you see not just the beauties of our waterways, but the... The art of walking and talking is facilitated by many stops along the way marked by little prayers and musings from the clergy. This particular stop here at Loch Brennan uh, is a stop where I simply want us to reflect a little bit on Wilbert's contribution, I suppose, to, to literature, to art, his signature being the first recorded signature. Tony, you were with us in, in Eshtonach, and... Um you're here now today, you're joining us on the walk. Well, this is kind of, I suppose, to finalise the journey, I suppose, having been in, in Luxembourg and uh, bringing the, the relic back, I suppose. It's a bit like bringing him back to, to his origins and a part of his, where he's, he did his formative years. And I suppose it's to, to complete that circle, I suppose, coming back. Because it's wonderful to see the Luxembourgian people here today. And, and it's, again, the ecumenical nature of the thing. Just those that we have, we have so much in common, you know, and... Uh, and to have that expressed in public is, is so important. We really didn't appreciate at the time what it was that we were involved in. Um, and it wasn't until we arrived in Eshtonach 
um, and saw the relic that was being presented to the cathedral that really dawned at us as it was this was important it was something big and that relic was beautiful like I, mm. ha- I have never I haven't got anybody yet to describe it can you describe it for us um, well it, it's a bronze uh, statuette image of St. Willibrord and I think one of the, the things that has been commented on it is that it's a very young Willibrord which is it was very nice for us and the, the reliquary itself is contained um, in um, what looks like a lantern but it's actually in the shape of the basilica in Eshtonach. Um so it's a very very beautiful piece and I think we'll be really honoured to have it in our cathedral uh, and I mean we over 8,000 people took part in the procession so it was a, a magnificent thing and it would be great to see something like that come back to us here and, and not to be ashamed of our Catholic tradition and faith. And while the Luxembourgers presented us with a relic of St. Willibord, we didn't let them leave empty-handed either. Willibord and the monks, when they went to Luxembourg and to Eshternach, they established this wonderful scriptorium, which lasted for several centuries and produced many great Psalm gospel books for not just for themselves, but they were sending these around Europe to, to some of the big houses. And obviously over time, a lot of these have now ended up in many of our European libraries. So we decided that we would compile a new book for them. So we commissioned Tim O'Neill, who's one of Ireland's foremost calligraphers, and about 12 pages in the book of vellum. So he took two calf skins and he wrote in the famous quotation from Willerbord, which we believe was written in a book that was originally written in Carlo, that he wrote in Eshternach, and it's now the oldest datable signature of an English person. And we put in that quotation. What's the quotation? Quotation is about his life, in that he came um, to their country, to their area, to preach the gospel, even though he was only a humble servant. And he mentioned that he was made uh, a bishop by the Pope Sergius, even though he felt he was very unworthy of it, uh, and that in the name of God he he's undertaking this mission. So that's the general gist of what he was saying in Latin. And uh, then we have a page or two about the actual history between us and Eshternach. And then we proceed to list the near 60 people that travelled from Carlo to Luxembourg in early June with both Bishop Nulty and Burroughs. And then the last couple of pages are the list of the 29 people from Eshternach who travelled to Carlo. And it's covered in lovely goatskin, again traditional of the time, and a replica silver cross which is a, of the cross at Cologan, where he was trained and ordained here in County Carlow. That was an absolute surprise. We didn't know about that. Hmm? So uh, I must say that the Irish have, on a number of occasions, taken us by surprise, just as we did in Eshternach with the Irish. Hmm? So it was a revenge. <laughs> but an agreeable one. Hmm? Yes. And, uh, and uh, we are thinking of exhibiting it in the information, UNESCO Information Centre, about uh, the hopping procession. We walked the relic from the River Barrow up into St. Clare's Church and then on to St. Mary's. The St. Willie Ward's Litany is sung by the Luxembourgers as they walk through Carlo. It's a happy climax to a long process for Pierre Cautan, former president of the Willie Ward Balfourhine. It was a an, an, uh, an happy day for us to come to Carlo and to bring you St. Willie Ward. We worked at it for 70 years, and it was an, 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 like an adventure to, to 
finish the, the process. Welcome to Carlo Cathedral and welcome particularly to all our visitors and to those who have, who have come. And, and so, after a period of over 1,300 years, St. Willie Board, a man born in Northumbria, was brought back to the county of his old alma mater. He has returned to Carlo, which is terribly important, and that, that's a great gift for the people of faith a new message for evangelization, a new message for maybe the importance of faith formation. He got his formation here, so we've got to make the most of the formation we're offered as well in life. The relic is now on permanent display and can be viewed in Carlow Cathedral, while next door in Carlow County Museum, there's an exhibition about Willie Board's mission, including a copy of his signature and an insight into how the monks made the wonderful manuscripts that Ireland and Eschenach are famous for. Carlo Hubs to Luxembourg was produced by Monica Hayes. Made with the support of the Broadcasting Authority of Ireland with a television licence fee and Carlo County Council.